Hello, and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community. Brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media, and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and other host, also Denver Nuggets fan. In the NBA Finals, my name is Amy Borat. I am from Denver, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. Game three will be in the books by the time you hear this, Woo! but it's tomorrow night at the time of recording this. It's 1-1, Amy. Are it you, is 1-1. Uh, we'll get there in a second. Okay, on today's one, one. show, other than Nuggets Talk, we have Maya Bloomberg, the Heme NP, is back with her latest segment. Yes. Dr. Mike Callahan, host of the Cheat Codes podcast, longtime hematologist, and all-around good guy, father of about 20 Long-time kids. listener. Long-time, long-time listener. Listener, first time caller. No, I think we've had him on before. And uh, James Maple, the one and only, is going to have an interview with Sing Me a Story's Austin. What is Sing Me a Story? Who is Austin? James will tell you in just a little bit. We've got all of that and more, Amy Board, on this episode. Welcome to Bloodstream. Hey, thank you for joining us. Remember, if you like what you hear, I hope you like what you hear. I don't know why you're here if you don't. Oh my gosh. Please subscribe leave. to the Bloodstream podcast on Apple's pod. <laughs> all those places that have podcasts. <laughs> just hit the buttons, follow, subscribe. Just do it. You know, just please. It was supposed to be Apple and Spotify, and I don't know what came out. I was talking over you. So I know. It got no, no, no. It was great. It was just so funny. But I honest, honestly have no idea what came out. I think we should invest <laughs> in an editor <laughs> and a pro- get this, okay. a process where we actually can go back and re-record things if we need to. But that but th- like that last Apple Spotify thing that I just said that came out, it might it might be the best moment of our show today. And this is why we haven't made those moves quite yet. So another day and another same as always. We've got all the stuff that's been said and more shenanigans on this episode. Welcome to Bloodstream. And then there's just a long pause. <laughs> I thought you were going to go in Cicada so I didn't say anything. Oh, shoot. I should have. And listeners, I also want to remind you that the Bloodstream podcast is indeed made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda. Yes, yes, that's right. Takeda. <laughs> Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you, get this, can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda, Amy, believes in a world free of bleeds. Which would be great. I agree with you. And they're dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs Mm -hmm. and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting (laughs) bleedingdisorders.com. One more time because, you know, you need it. Bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I and Amy would just like to say, Thanks, Thanks, Takeda. Takeda. Let's talk Denver Nuggets! Uh, When did you start investing in the Denver Nuggets this season? This season? Well, let's go back to my childhood because I invested... Uh, Do we have that time? Okay. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I loved the Nuggets when I was a kid because of the mascot. Rocky is legendary. Very kid-friendly. He is a mountain lion, Mm -hmm. and he's also the best mascot maybe ever... Uh, maybe just underneath Gritty in Philly. Wow. Throwing and fastballs in me board. I, I just, I think he's uh, amazing. As a child, we would go to see Rocky, but but 
you know, the Nuggets were always fun. Loved them. Loved the Chauncey. But we got Chauncey Billups for like two seasons. Yes. I was just going to ask you, who were your Nuggets yeah. in those formative years? Yeah. Like, who were the people for you? Chauncey was was a big one. And then we had that we had that good, you know, squad with like Mel, with Carmelo Anthony. Mm-hmm. And we had Allen Iverson for yes, a while, which was a nightmare. We, no, it was great. It was a nightmare. You know, Alan. Well, you know, um, end of Alan, end of career. If Alan, you will, end of career situation. Anyway, but the but these dudes have been good for a while. But I uh, I am not a basketball fan like you are. I don't watch religiously. But I've been have aware. You been watching Nikola Jokic. Are you seeing yes. what everyone's talking oh, about? Oh, I've known for a while that he's absolutely fantastic. And my mother is a huge Denver Nuggets fan, so I hear about it all the time. Okay. So I haven't. I don't feel like I have ownership of these dudes like my mom does. But because it's my town, I just, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, good. Yeah. Anyway, so, and it's just fun. It's just fun. Maybe we have to have her on. Okay, if the Nuggets win the championship, your mom has to come on the pod. Are you a Nuggets fan now? Patrick I'm a basketball James fan, and the Denver Lynch? Nuggets are. I'll tell you what, the Denver Nuggets they were bar, they were knocking on the door some years back. I guess not really when George Carl was coaching that yes! Ty Lawson led team. Like, yes, they were interesting playoff teams, first round, maybe second yes. round. And I was always hopeful that that team would break through, get over the hump. They never did. And then I was very excited when this current team got Aaron Gordon from the Magic three yes! years ago, had him for eight games before they lost Jamal Murray yes. for two years. I was one of the people watching those eight games and being like, small sample size, but if this is the squad with Jokic, Murray, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., fill in the rest, like, that's a squad. And that's where they are now. They added KCP. Yeah! Lakers NBA champion. So, like, I've been following what's going on with the Nuggets for a while. I was ready for this. I had Denver in five. It's 1-1 right now. I like my Denver in five pick. Uh, Although 1-1, I don't know. Maybe it's going to be six. But- we digress a little too far. So we'll come back to this okay. in a couple few weeks. We'll check in on the Nuggets. And if they win the championship this year, your mom's coming on the podcast. <laughs> we finally, finally have a Jenny Board showing, <laughs> which no one is ready for. Like, get ready. Jenny? Bloodstream Nation. <laughs> Bloodstream Nation. Lock in. We're going rogue with Amy and Jenny Board. Oh, How about that? But first, we have some other people to talk to, like Maya Bloomberg, the Heme NP. And here is what we're going to talk to her. Or we're not going to talk to her. You're just going to hear from her in her excellent segment once again, this time focused on sickle cell disease as uh, June 19th or Juneteenth is also World Sickle Cell Day. So in honor of that, Maya's segment today presents a a load, a boatload, as it were, of, of meaningful information about as much as you can get in in two and a half minutes about the state of sickle cell disease right now. So we'll get into that. Here is nurse practitioner Maya Bloomberg, the Heme NP, on all things sickle cell disease in honor of World Sickle Cell Day. Sickle cell is the most common inherited genetic disorder affecting over 100,000 individuals in the United States. It is a life-threatening disorder characterized by sudden, unpredictable, and severe pain episodes, head-to-toe complications, all causing a reduced life expectancy, averaging 30 years shorter than the general population. It predominantly affects people of color, where 1 in 365 African Americans have sickle cell in the United States, but we all know it can affect any race or ethnicity. Structural and systemic racism compounds the challenges already faced by this community of warriors with regards to higher rates of housing and food insecurity, unemployment rates, and difficult access to quality health care. 
When compared to hemophilia, which affects around 30,000 individuals in the United States, far fewer than sickle cell, we see more funding, treatment options, resources, and greater access to quality care. Now, as a reminder, there is a positive association between funding with quality of life, health outcomes, and survival rates. People with hemophilia have easier access to high quality care compared to those with sickle cell, and it's because there's over 130 federally funded hemophilia treatment centers across the country. This allows for a multidisciplinary approach to treat a rare condition, which ultimately leads to better health outcomes, reducing healthcare costs, and overall disparities. There's a national shortage of specialized sickle cell providers, especially in low-income and rural communities with lower resources. This leads to higher utilization of the healthcare system with regards to frequent ER visits and hospitalizations. And don't forget, each crisis matters because it only takes one crisis to be the last one. National registries or surveillance systems currently exist for hemophilia and other chronic conditions, and it allows us to prevent, detect, and manage rare conditions, and also helps determine where to allocate resources. But for sickle cell, these registries only exist in a few states such as Georgia and California. The worst part of sickle cell is the psychological impact of combating both severe pain and the negative judgments and attitudes of providers who have implicit biases interfering with a person receiving appropriate treatment all of which just worsens and prolongs the suffering. This is an unfortunate reality for much of the sickle cell community and we need to do better. We need to continue educating and spreading awareness and having the uncomfortable conversations to achieve the greatest change. Please like and share this with others to continue to spread awareness so we can be the change and see the change so desperately needed for this community of warriors. Thank you, Maya. Be the change and see the change. I like that. Mm-hmm. Be it and see it. So uh, a lot of great nuggets in, in what was just shared by Maya in a fast and furious segment. Yes. I'm very impressive. Very impressed with how much she got in there about all things sickle cell. But the thing I wanted to highlight, Amy, was the comment that Maya had made about the correlation between funding, health outcomes, and survival rates. Yeah. So on one hand, like, okay, that's obvious, right? The more funding there is for treatment and care practices, the better health outcomes, the better the survival rates will be. But I don't know that we as patients and advocates in this rare disease space always appreciate just how connected funding and trials and investigations into new therapies, how much that is directly connected ultimately to health outcomes and survival rates. Correct. Correct. And I, I I think especially in the sickle cell disease uh, community, um, it's, you know, worth noting and it's very much in the conversation. Mm. I think um, for us in the bleeding disorder space, I think we have a lot to learn from our sickle cell disease uh, brothers and sisters and warriors. Um, How so? I think th- that is a community that has had to scrap from nothing. Mm. And I think the individuality that I see in sickle cell warrior advocacy is kind of Mm. um, stunning to me. And, you know, we always talk in hemophilia that we have... and we have we have really led the way in terms of grassroots organizing, um, advocacy, creating change. Uh, but the sickle cell disease community, um, their advocacy is uh, it's is on another level. I think in terms of their passion and where they're coming from, they truly have come from nothing. It is a horrible 
horrible disease. Our next guest, Dr. Mike Callahan, is a hematologist. He now works with Agios Pharmaceuticals. He's the co-host of the Cheat Codes podcast, which, of course, um, is about education and awareness in the sickle cell disease community. He got his start in hemophilia and bleeding disorders. We talk about that. Dr. Mm -hmm. Mike is one of our faves. But one of the things that Mike um, does say is that sickle cell is an extremely, extremely difficult disease. The pain mm. is extraordinary. Um, I had a patient that described her pain as worse than labor pains. They're like her crises are worse than when she went through labor. Um, reproductive health is um, extremely uh, dicey and um, very difficult. And then, of course, there's so much racism um, in sickle cell disease. There is so much um, need for personal advocacy. Uh, the their ER experiences will 100% top hemophilias, I think. There's so much in this community. And so to celebrate World Sickle Cell Day, I think as the bleeding disorder community, as someone who is next to um, I this, you know, you know, our our red blood cells, our, our yeah. blood brothers and sisters and warriors, I think it's important to um, really amp the awareness um, of this community. And another thing that Dr. Callahan talks about in our next segment, which is fantastic, he actually um, goes into the importance of clinical trials, participating in clinical trials. Mm. And this is something that both communities, bleeding disorders, hemophilia, um, sickle cell disease, really, um, you know, it's a definitely it's definitely a conversation. There's things that are happening and they won't happen without our participation as patients. Um, I say that for myself included, like they won't happen without us. And it's a, such a personal decision, but it's very much top of mind right now in our communities. Well said and well set up. So let's now get into the interview with Dr. Mike Callahan. Bloodstream listeners. I am here with Dr. Mike Callahan, co-host of the Cheat Codes podcast, hematologist and one of my favorite people on the planet. Hi, Dr. Mike. How you doing? Welcome back on Bloodstream. I'm doing great. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for having me back. You bet. Um, we wanted to bring you on because June 19th is also uh, World Sickle Cell Day. It's Juneteenth, of course, but it's also World Sickle Cell Day. And of course, longtime listeners have heard us speak about sickle cell many times before, but for newer listeners... Um, I think an update might be helpful. Um, it's been a few years since uh, you guys have started Cheat Codes. Um, so tell me, what is the current state of care and management for sickle cell uh, in the U.S.? Yeah, so I, there's uh, a lot of bright spots, and I think a lot of things that are getting better in sickle cell. Mm -hmm. um, definitely, I think there's more um, community building and organization. Mm. Um, there are more therapies out there. Um, I think there's a big push to get adult centers open, um, which are sorely needed. Um, so there's a lot of good things going on and still a, a ton of work to do. Mm. Um, but uh, cheat codes now we're into, I, I think, somewhere in the 60s episodes. And it's it's been a pleasure to have all of these wonderful guests on and learn from them and hear what's going on um, in the community and get so, so much positive feedback from people. Um, and through that, I've gotten to meet a lot of, a lot of people in the community and really connect people. And, mm. um, you know, having grown up a little bit in hemophilia, it's, it's interesting to see the parallels and sort of see this, uh, network of community organizations come together and advocacy groups and, um, you know, in, individual patients. And, and now there's some, um, industry 
interest as well. Um, so I, I think it's uh, it's an exciting time for sickle cell. What are some of the challenges that that community is facing? Oh boy, uh, I don't think we have enough time. But <laughs> um, it's a, a lot. A lot. You know, sickle cell is a, a horrible disease. Um, mm. It's really um, incredibly impactful on people's lives. Um, mm. You know, length, um, quality of life. It's very unpredictable. You don't know when you might be in the hospital um, in severe pain. Um, it causes damage to every organ system. Um, and we have really still limited treatment options. Um, mm. That's gotten better. We have three new treatment options in the last um, five years. Um, none of them are, are silver bullets, but, you know, everything helps. Um, so I think that's a huge challenge. Um, also, access to care is a problem. A lot of people don't live near um, a high-quality sickle cell center. They have a hard time getting in, in to see um, a hematologist who knows about sickle cell. Um, incredible problems with the ER. I mean, people with sickle cell need to use the ER frequently for um, pain episodes and other complications. Um, and un unfortunately, a lot of ER doctors are not um, as educated on sickle cell as they should be. And there's a lot of stigma and racism that... Uh, persists in in medicine and um create a lot of barriers to care and frustration and and uh, challenges for people living with sickle cell so really a, a ton of work left to do but i am excited um to see this community grow and, and face those challenges and um i think a lot of a lot of um positive things on the horizon so mm. hopefully things will um get get better going forward. Um, a few years ago, you made the transition from the clinical, um, the academic kind of the research world where you saw patients um, to the job that you are in currently uh, within Agios, within um, pharma and more of a research role. How's that been going? And, you know, I, I think what are the pros and cons um, of that move? Yeah, so I, I think overall it's been a great move. Um, I, I like working in industry. I, I think, you know, some people call it the dark side or you get a, get a bad rap sometime, I think. And, uh, um, but I, I think um, there's a lot of resources there, um, a lot of really talented people who are focused on um, developing drugs that can help people and um the resources to do it and so i i think amar and i both left together and we when we did it we said you know this may be an opportunity to make an impact not on a patient by patient basis but hopefully bring something that can help a lot of people over a long time mm -hmm. um and i i still have that feeling that that's something we mm -hmm. can do now i do miss patients strangely i miss looking at blood smears um but i've been <laughs> fortunate that um i I get a couple days a month to uh, go back to clinic and see some mm. of my old patients and, um, you know, put on my white coat and pretend I'm a doctor again. So um, it's a, it's a nice balance. Um, I'm about two years into this job and still mm. learning new stuff every day. And uh, re really like the people I work with, like what I'm working on, still get to interact with uh, patients and, and um, advocacy groups a little bit still get to scientific meetings and see my old academic colleagues, which is great. Um, it's nice to still have a, a little bit of um, 
time in the clinic. Hmm. You have a background in hemophilia and von Willebrands and inherited bleeding disorders. Um, do you keep up with like the hemophilia treatment landscape? What's what's going on there from your point of view? Yeah, yeah, I, I try to. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Coag and I yeah. spent many years at hemophilia camp, and mm. uh, I um, I don't know, it's my my first love. Um, <laughs> That's and... why I love you so much. I realized I didn't realize you had a hemophilia camp background. That's why <laughs> you're one of my faves. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I try to keep up, um, mm -hmm. and I you know I have a lot of um, friends who text me, and uh, unfortunately I've missed a lot of the coag meetings. But I'm getting to ISTH this year, so it'd be good to catch up with all my friends there. Um, and there's a lot of exciting stuff going on there. I mean, the first gene therapy got approved. Um, you know, lot lots of new therapies, uh, Altuvio, and um, I, I think, you know, CARE has been, um, I think, very good for hemophilia for a while and keeps mm -hmm. getting better. So that that's good mm -hmm. to see. That's great. Um, going back to sickle cell just um, a little bit, uh, what are some of the hopes on the horizon for the sickle cell community? Yeah, so I, I think... Um, one one is you know building these centers and getting more people access. The American mm -hmm. Society of Hematology has a program, and they um, are working with a lot of different sites. Um, they've also developed this big um, infrastructure to capture data um, on sickle cell, so we can you know make sure the things we're doing are having an effect, um, and and to help um, facilitate trials. Um, pharma-sponsored trials or NIH kind of trials um, to answer some of the questions that we need to to help treat people with sickle cell better. Those are those are exciting things. Um, in terms of the drug pipeline, there's a lot going on. Um, there's, you know, a lot of uh, small molecules like the things we're working on. There's uh, gene therapies, gene editing, um, really um, a, a lot of things that, you know, hope, I hope they all I hope they all work and uh, and it, these things take a lot of time and you have to do good studies to show that they work and that they're safe and identify who are the right people to get them. Um, but a, a lot's being done and, and hopefully those things will start to make their way to patients. You mentioned uh, clinical trials. Um, I think you are in a unique position to answer this question because you have, of course, um, seen patients, but now you're also on um, the pharma side. Um, from a patient's perspective, why would it be important to participate in a clinical trial? Um, and, you know, what questions should patients start to think about when they're weighing those options, um, kind of balancing that risk and reward um, of joining a clinical trial? Yeah, I, I think that is the the big question that people need to ask. And, and it's, you know, individual. So, so there are some trials um, where we'll say, you know, there's really not a prospect that you're going to benefit from this, where mm. we don't know if this drug works we're going to start at really low doses and you might get a dose that doesn't work. You might get a placebo when this trial's done, you can't stay on the drug because it's not at that stage of development yet. And there, you know, the patient's only motivation may be, well, I'm helping science and, um, 
you know, hopefully this provides information that makes better treatments for everybody. And, you know, it's altruistic, really. And and fortunately, there are brave, altruistic patients who, who go into those studies, and um, that you know, allows us to get drugs that uh, have been tested into bigger groups of patients and see if they work and um, and ultimately hopefully get effective treatments out. Later phase studies, a lot of times a lot more information is known about those drugs. So they've um, gone through these early phase trials. You start to know about um, side effects that they may have seen in those earlier trials, how well it may have worked in those trials. Um, and I know when I was when I was a doctor taking care of patients and working in the treatment center, I would only open those studies if I thought, you know, this could benefit my patients. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think... Um, you know, we don't know 100% if the drug is going to work. That's why we're doing the trial. But um, if I thought this is something that probably will and it might help my patients, I would I would think about opening that study. Um, I, I think the most important thing is that there's a informed consent process. And some of it is seems kind of tedious. You have to go through a large uh, 30, 40-page document sometimes. And that document goes through all of your responsibilities on the trial. When do I need to show up? How much blood are they going to take? Do I need to have procedures? Am I going to have EKGs done? Um, The different things that they're going to need to do for the trial. Um, What the risks of the the thing they're studying are, known risks and um, unknown risks, and and why they're doing the trial, what they're they're trying to figure out. So I, I think it's you know, important that you go over that with the study team and then talk about it with your doctor, with your family. Um, really think about if if this is something you can do, if you have the time and commitment to do it, which is not, not easy. I know I, I have five kids and it's baseball season. I would have a hard time making it to all these appointments. <laughs> um, but um, also if it makes sense for you um, and, you know, there's no, nothing that doesn't have risk, um, but I, I think you need to decide if if those are if the risk of being in the trial or the potential side effects of it are worth the potential benefits of being in the trial for you. And and your doctor can help with that. They can help explain what some of those side effects mean and how likely you are to get them and um, what that might mean for you and how the drug works and why that might benefit you or not and um, and so I, I think it needs to be really a dialogue back and forth and a, and a really, a lot of thought needs to go into the decision to join a trial, hmm. but it's, I think it's a great thing to do. We, we had in Detroit, a group of patients who would participate in trials and then they would say, when's the next trial? What can I do next? It's not easy to be on a trial and you know, hmm. there, there is risk to it and it's not for everybody, but it, it can work out well for for the participants and and definitely um, even when the trials are negative and the drug didn't work, that's a good thing to know so that, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't expose a lot of people to a drug that doesn't work um, outside of the trial. Yeah. And and it's good relationship building too with your uh, healthcare team to be involved like that. Um, I experienced that in Denver, you know, where you, you're way more in the know and yeah. you know it helps your own disease you're awareness and lot. education. I guess, I guess it depends how you feel about your treaters, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's true. Def- definitely get to know them a lot better. 
That is true. It's true. Well, Dr. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this was really great. And I guess just to close, um, what does World Sickle Cell Day mean to you and Dr. Z as you've been working in this community for so long? Such passionate advocates. Yeah, no, it's, it's a big day. You know, it's good to yeah. see everybody get out and, um, you know, lots of activity on social media. Um, we have a, a walk in Detroit that's been going on for many years. It's also shout out to Dr. Sherney. It's her birthday that day also. Awesome. And she runs a uh, um, sickle cell chapter in Michigan and they uh, have a big event and it's, uh, it's really a lot of fun. It's good to get out and see people outside of the hospital. Um, so yeah, it's, it's always an exciting time of the year. That's great. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us and we'll, uh, Make sure to catch you on the next Cheat Codes. (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks, Amy. Hey, new best friends. James Maple here again with another Bloodstream segment. Though this time, I'm going to be doing things a little bit differently. So usually our structure would have us play some community-based music at the top and tail of the segment. And then, you know, pepper it with thoughtful and hopefully thought-provoking knowledge. I'm switching things up a little bit this time because I had the great distinction of sitting down with musician, executive director, co-founder of Sing Me a Story, Austin Attenberry. Now, Austin and Sing Me a Story have created an incredible and unique way to bridge music and imagination for kids and adults of all ages. So few things in life really connect us. We have food, conversation, music, and another that is oftentimes overlooked, imagination. Speaking for myself, there is one song that always evokes this like whimsical and childlike feeling. So I'm not going to sing it to spare your ears, but I will say it. It goes, come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. You feel like a kid again? Does your mind wander and create imagery? Now imagine going even deeper than that. That's the premise of Sing Me a Story an organization that prides itself on helping children in need, oftentimes those with rare and chronic diseases, turn their imagination into real experiences by pairing them with songwriters across the world who can adapt their drawings, their paintings, and stories into musical reality. Let's hear a bit more about Sing Me a Story from Austin himself. So we are Sing Me a Story. Uh, We give children in need all over the world the chance to write and illustrate stories about whatever they want. And then we give those to songwriters who turn them into songs and send them back to the kids. So this all started about 11 years ago. I'm a songwriter. Um, I'm from Chicago. I went to school in Chicago at Northwestern University, and then I moved down to Nashville after school. And a pretty girl moved in next door to me, and she happened to work at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital as a child life specialist. And she encouraged me to volunteer at the hospital um, as a music volunteer. So full disclosure, to impress the pretty girl that moved in next door, I said, absolutely. But I had to figure out something to do with the kids. So I started by just asking them to tell me a story about whatever they wanted, and we would turn that into a song, and I would go home and record the song on my computer, and then send the MP3 back to the children's hospital for the kids and their families. So now, Austin and his team's approach to rare disease advocacy, I thought was really, really cool. And as I mentioned, it's super unique. For those kids who are bedridden or have physical limitations or simply stuck at home for extended periods of time, um, their mind has to wander. You know, their imagination becomes their playground. That's the moment they're seen, the moment they're heard and recognized. And Sing Me a Story through their drawings and stories become imagination manifested, but with music as the vessel. Obviously, by definition, uh, 
rare diseases are rare. And awareness and advocacy are such a big component of um, of that for, for all sorts of reasons, uh, more than just for the sake of awareness and advocacy, but also to direct resources to finding treatments and finding, you know, cures for various things. But awareness is such a big part of um, what a lot of folks in the rare disease community are striving for. And, you know, we come along and can say, hey, you know, the one thing that every child has, regardless of the circumstance they're in, is their imagination. And we can take these imaginations and try to bring them to some, some, some of the biggest microphones we can find to ultimately remind us all that whether you're in the rare disease community or not, we all have, you know, the one thing in common, which is um, our imaginations, and we can share those and remind us that we all have far more in common than we often attribute to ourselves. So no matter your rare disease condition, or let's say how creative your mind may be, Sing Me a Story and its deep-rooted connections in the music industry and its mission as an organization genuinely can help a lot of families by creating what would normally be fleeting moments and turning them into moments of pure and tangible imagination. You know, a lot of the songs we do are about the big green Pez dispenser that ate all the trees in the neighborhood. And, you know, they're fun and that's what they're meant to be, you know. Um, But there are certain rare times where we're really creating and memorializing, um, you know, a moment in time for a family that they will cherish forever. And uh, those are the things that now as a dad myself, I think about a lot when I think about the why of what it is we're doing. So I'll leave you all with that. Definitely check out Sing Me A Story. We'll put all their links in the show notes below. And as always, be good, be kind, keep listening to music, and I'll catch you all next time. Peace. Thank you, James. Thank you, Austin. And thank you to Maya and Mike Callahan for rounding out the contributors to today's episode. Of course, this episode would not be possible without our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Mm, Thanks, Takeda. Visit bleedingdisorders.com for more. Uh, Bloodstream Podcast, Amy Board. We will be back next on June 23rd. What can the listeners expect to hear on June 23rd? We'll have our next installment of our music segment with James Maple uh, featuring some original community music and one of my favorite hemophilia dudes. Ooh, teaser, teaser. Love that. And we might, might have a special cross promo with another Bloodstream Media podcast, which would be very super fun. That would be very super fun. I agree. Suspenseful. Also fun. Suspenseful, fun, also may not happen, in which case, you know, disappointing. <laughs> yeah, it could be disappointing. Should have been left If you've out. made it this far in the show and you're still listening and it doesn't happen, feel free to give us... Mailbag. Crap. At bloodstreammedia.com. On social media. We're in all the places. We're in all the places. You can't help but find us. <laughs> With that, though, that is all for this episode. I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I'm your other host and Denver Nuggets fan, Amy Board. And until next time when the Denver Nuggets may or may not have hoisted the Larry O'Brien trophy, we will find out. Take self-care of yourself and bye, everybody. Bye-bye.